Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. I'm Jeff Probst, the host and showrunner of Survivor. Each week, I'm joined by Jay Wolf, Survivor fan and the producer of this podcast. Hello, Jay. Hey, what's up? As well as former Survivor player Rick Devins. What's up, Rick? Hello, Jeff. Each week, we dissect the big moments of the most recent episode of Survivor, and we bring you insight from the points of view of the fan, the player, and the producer. So let's get into it. Episode 10, Survivor 45. Jay, which player do you want to highlight this week? I mean, this was a crazy emotional episode, and for me, the person I want to highlight is, I think, the one who experienced the full gamut of those emotions, emotions at the reward, at the challenge, and ultimately waving goodbye to her nemesis, Bruce, it's Katora. <laughs> Great pick with Katora. I'm going to go with Emily. I wanted to see how she'd react to Reba sticking together, and she kind of definitely makes this move without alienating Reba. Plus, she wins a challenge. So a big night for Emily. Yeah. All right, Jay, let's get into it. The big moments from episode 10. Where do you want to start? Well, like I said, I want to talk about emotions today. And it started in the beginning with Julie, who is called by everyone, Mama Jay, talking about that exact thing, being put into this mom role and how it's almost emotionally devastating for her to have to do that while playing Survivor. I was devastated. They just wouldn't even look at me. It felt so personal. The feeling of betrayal is hard for me. I am used to being very loyal and trustworthy, and you can count on me no matter what. Just the thought that there are two people out there that are like, man, I wouldn't trust Julie as far as I could throw her, hurts me. Oh, sorry, sorry. Oh, it's okay, it's okay. It's just, I don't lie in real life. Boy, it's powerful. Yeah, I mean, you can feel it in her voice, and then a few moments later, you heard Drew say something really intense to Julie as well. I, I really, you know, I really care about it deeply. And, and I'm telling you. Okay. You, I just want to know that, like, we're all going to be okay. Like, we're good no matter what. We're good no matter what. 100% okay. true. All right. I mean, to put this into context, these people have barely known each other for two weeks. And yet you watch them say that to each other and you believe every word of it. Yeah, the impact of the game on the psyche. And we all know there's a person listening going, are you kidding me? You know, it's, as you said, two weeks, but it's one of the biggest challenges. If you're someone who has a very strong ethical code in life, 
but you can't separate that code, even in the spirit of the game, then it's going to be really tough to do because Survivor is not just a game. It is so much more. Rick, what are your thoughts on that? When you hear a scene like that, you've been there. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things I would have rolled my eyes at as a big Survivor fan before I went on the game. And now I totally understand. Every Survivor player understands it because you are bonding out there under these extreme conditions. It's not like I'm voting off this competitor in the game. I'm voting off the person who gave me warmth by being next to me, who covered me with you know, a piece of their clothing one night. I know their backstory. I know how much they sacrifice to come out here and have yeah. who back home specifically is counting on them to do well. And I know that I didn't just vote off my friend, but that I devastated their children because their children wanted them to make wow. the merge or get to yeah. final tribal. It's really, really hard. And from the outside, if you're one of those people right now going, I don't know, I still don't buy any of this. Just try to imagine, <laughs> just take a moment and imagine that you've decided to live in a real jungle where it's wet and there are bugs and there's bamboo and all that stuff. You're on an island. You're in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. You are abandoned with little or maybe no supplies. You have no food. You have no shelter other than what you can craft from the jungle. And the one thing you crave more than anything is some sort of connection, someone you can talk to, somebody you can trust. It's ultimately your biggest adversary, because that connection and trust that you seek is the same thing that's going to do you in in the game. So no matter which end of this you're on, whether you're the person who ultimately has to betray, like Julie was talking about, or whether you're the person that gets betrayed, you know, Kelly, whoever it is, it hurts on both sides. And that's what Drew was trying to say when he said, look, we're good no matter what, right? We're going to be friends mm. forever. So Devin's, when you hear that, does it trigger anything? Like, is there somewhere that lives inside you that you now appreciate it in a different way? Yeah, in a couple different ways. I, I made so many, like some of my best friends now are my survivor friends. And it was such a gift to come in my mid-30s and make this whole new group of friends. Yeah, that's awesome. But funny about what you just said is I gave back on my season when Chris Underwood returned from the edge, he gave me half the idol and I had all the control. He had the other half and I gave him his half back to make him whole because of these emotions we're talking about. Right, I was so wow. connected to him. I could not imagine betraying him for a second time and sending him home and then like never getting to meet his family. But now after this is all played out and I've seen it all. I look at what Drew said, and he's right. I should have kept the piece of the idol because Underwood and mm. I would still be friends. We would have made it past that. Wow. Or we wouldn't have. And then, you know, that's his decision. The friendship wasn't what I thought it was. So you have to play the game and know that what Drew's saying is right. Like, you can heal these bonds afterwards. Okay, I want to stay on that theme of trust, but I'd like to sprinkle in a little bit of Jeff's favorite thing in the game of Survivor. The knowledge is power. <laughs> What's the thing you did? Being afraid that someone had the knowledge of power, I gave Kelly oh. my idol. You gave her your idol. Wait, no, you didn't. That's Bruce trying to see if his lie that he gave <laughs> Kelly his idol landed with Katora. He then tells the same lie to Jake and expects this rumor to catch like wildfire. What struck me was how tough anything is to believe. I mean, this is a pretty feasible lie, actually, and I thought Bruce did a good job of delivering it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I actually did too. I thought Katora, you know, she says she knew from the beginning. He had me kind of fooled, and I don't know why he <laughs> told Katora. Keep it to yourself, Bruce. I mean, this is a fun thing. When else do you get to lie on national television? Lie to all the people around you with no consequence outside of maybe, you know, game consequences. And if you do get them to buy into this, if you can get them to buy your lie, it makes for a really big splash at Tribal Council. And that can be a lot of fun. Also puts on a show for the jury. That doesn't necessarily hurt. So I love that he kind of went for this, but you got to go all in. You can't do this halfway thing that he's doing with Katora. And from the producer's point of view, from the storytelling side of this, it's another example of 90 minutes because it gave us the time to examine one lie and follow every branch and how it impacted every player. We couldn't and wouldn't have devoted this much time to this lie in a regular 60-minute episode, but in this case, it was such a great examination of both strategy, the lie, and emotional intelligence, the ability to read the lie or read if people believe your lie, and then the social skills necessary to maneuver based on what you intuit from your emotional intelligence. So it was a really fun part of the episode. That's really interesting. And it speaks to, Jeff, just the amount of things that happen on Survivor that are really impactful within the game that maybe don't get seen in the sense that that scene with Jake talking to Bruce saying, okay, so you do have the idol. How come you didn't tell me? Right. How come you lied to me about that? Yeah. That seems really impactful. And in a 60-minute episode, had we not seen that, the same story would have happened, but we wouldn't have known about that schism between Jake and Bruce. And it's one of the biggest complaints from the players. And it's a it's a fair one is that you we can't show everything that everybody did, even though there are a lot of amazing things that people are doing. All right. When we come back, let's take a break. And we're going to talk about an overnight at the sanctuary. What is that really like? And Emily sent Bruce home with an idol in his pocket. How did she do it? We'll be right back. Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash survivor to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com survivor. Welcome back to On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. What's the next moment, Jay? All right, the next thing I want to talk about is the reward challenge. And first and foremost, we do not see a lot of it's time for a reward challenge these days on Survivor. Yeah, that's true. We often only have one challenge in an episode, but that's also so that we have time for other elements because we've started adding things like journeys or risk-reward games or other kinds of twists. And this reward challenge was particularly fun. You crawl through a net, and you navigate a table maze, and Emily ends up winning. And when she did, 
she was staying on theme for the episode, emotional. But coming into today's challenge, we had talked, we figured it was a war challenge, and everybody was saying, well, Emily, if we had the chance to take someone, mm -hmm. we'll take you. Well, you haven't been to the sanctuary yet. And, it, mm -hmm. and I really appreciate that mentality, but it kind of makes you feel really bad about yourself because, mm. you know, I want to deserve it. I want to earn it. If I get there, I get there on my own. And I'm really happy that, that I, I'm going to get there on my own today. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Again, I think another organic moment. They're really cheering. They're really clapping because they're happy for her. I remember this moment. I remember watching her entire body shaking and she was crying. She really didn't, genuinely did not expect to ever win anything. And that's a real testament to the challenge team that designs challenges so that on any given day, anyone can win. And Devons, you know, we haven't talked about your season much, but you were very successful. You won four <laughs> immunity challenges. That You're in the upper echelon. You're in the rarest of air to win that many. And when you think about it, 99% of the people who play Survivor are not athletes. So this is all outside of their normal life. So, Devons, what is it, like, put yourself in Emily's shoes, when you accomplish the goal of winning a Survivor challenge, why is it so impactful? What gets stirred up inside? There are so many different things that go on. For one thing, you've been fantasizing about this for me since I was in high school when the very first episode came out. What would it be like? Could I really do that? Could I win a challenge? It's almost like mm. hoisting a Super Bowl trophy for us Survivor fans. And then you're just thinking about everything that went into getting there, the people back home. I mean, that's what it really was for me, was knowing they were going to see this and just knowing how proud they were going to be, how, how over the moon proud they were going to be meant everything to me, which is silly as hell, because they're already incredibly proud that you even go out there to take on the challenge. But as someone who didn't, you know, win a state championship in football or get a varsity letter right. in wrestling, like this was the peak of my athletic career. And it, <laughs> it, it proved something to me that I didn't, I always hoped it was there, but I, I had no way of knowing, and it was. Well, Devons, you just said what I say, which is, I think sometimes Survivor fulfills the idea that a person believed might be possible. But in your normal life, you're never going to get the chance to find out. These kinds of experiences don't exist. But if you apply to be on Survivor, suddenly I'm putting a necklace, and it's just a silly necklace. It's meaningless. Unless it has meaning. Hmm. But if it has meaning, and in this case, you're Emily and your whole body is convulsing because you look down the line on both sides and say, I beat all of you in this challenge where I had to run and jump and untie and do this maze. I beat everyone here. It should be powerful because it is. It is a testament on any given day we can amaze ourselves. You just got to give yourself the chance. Mm. And it's even more pronounced when like Emily you're coming off a failure. Right. She was at her lowest low because on the last episode, she didn't do the journey. She didn't get the math problem. And then she comes out and now she's at her highest high. She overcame this huge obstacle. I mean, how can that not be an emotional experience? And then she's got another obstacle in our next moment, which is the choice to go on reward and who she's got to bring with her. Emily ends up picking the other three women who are remaining to go to the sanctuary for the best reward yet, an overnight, a Thanksgiving-style oh, feast, a slumber party, and then 
I loved this contrast that we had between girls night and boys night. Boys night even got some Top Gun music. (laughs) Jeff, talk us through how you approach these two in the edit of that one story. This was all our editing teams. This episode was Bill Bowden and Ryan Baltazar. There's a lot of people that work on the episode, but let's just say that Bill is the editor that, that helms it. Ryan is the producer that helms it. And they saw an opportunity for a great compare and contrast. As you said, you have this really <laughs> beautiful, civilized girls' night. They're drinking sangria, and the, and the sanctuary is gorgeous. And then you've got boys' night, where they literally are talking about farting. I mean, it's a quintessential <laughs> boys' night. But the key to this on the boys' night was the first clever idea that Bill and Ryan had, which is, let's put it through Drew's point of view. Because mm. now you're in the social experiment part of the show. Drew's not used to being a bro. So <laughs> right. he's kind of trying to trying to figure out how to do that. And then they were debating heavy metal or cheesy 80s music. What should we cut this to? So I, I think originally they cut it to heavy metal and they showed it to Matt Van Wagenen. And they said, what do you think? Heavy metal or we could try cheesy 80s music. And Matt said, you know what? I think it's a little more cheesy 80s. So they had this idea, build it, and said, what if we just go for it? And we try to get the music from Top Gun, that song playing with the boys. What do you think? So Matt calls me and he said, listen, Bill has this crazy idea. And I do remember saying, that's all I need to know. If Bill has a crazy idea, I'm in. (laughs) And he goes, no, but just let me tell you, what if we cut it to Top Gun? And I'll be honest, I was torn. Because I didn't know if, like, would kids get it? And Matt and Bill and Ryan said, it won't matter. It's funny either way. And they were right. So they cut Mm. it. And, man, Bill really owned this. He worked on it a lot. And, Jay, you know from cutting things, you have to get it right. You have to find the right shots. You got to start the cue at the right point. You got to cut on the right beat. And we didn't shoot this for Top Gun. We just (laughs) shot it. And then Bill saw an opportunity. So it's another reason working on this show is so fun because I get these fun surprises as well. And then you get to learn, like I get to learn from watching Bill and Ryan cut something. And then Matt gets his input by saying it should be Cheesy's 80. And then somewhere we find the money to pay for the music from (laughs) Top Gun and it all worked out. Jeff, I loved this so much. I was cracking up. I was totally shocked. I did a double take. And I'm guessing that a big reason the editors and producers were inspired to do this is because this group of guys was so fun and bought into this boys Mm. night concept and this bro down so much. Absolutely. It's a big swing. And it's the kind of swing that if it works, you're a genius. And if it doesn't, you're an idiot. Fortunately, (laughs) our team is full of the former and not the latter. All right. The other piece of this reward was the loved one letters. And that, again, was super emotional. It went to show that the choices Emily had to make in choosing who went with her were extremely complicated. Absolutely. Whenever love is involved, I mean, you are making someone's day. They owe you big time. Not that it always pays off in Survivor. You're also burning other people. I Again, referencing my season of Survivor, Victoria and Lauren were left out of the loved one's visit and immediately went on attack mode against Ron, who handed out those loved one's visits to other people. It can really be tough. Right. And can I just throw in a separate kind of controversial opinion here? As someone who experienced a real loved one's visit with my wife, and it was amazing. We hugged each other. We were smiling and laughing the whole time. 
And then I got loved one letters after I'd been eliminated from the game in Ponderosa. I loved having my wife there, but the actual more emotional impact came from the letters because wow. they come from more than one person. People really in writing say things that they don't say to your face. And I just remember, mm. I'm getting emotional thinking about it even right now. My son, oh. who was like five at the time, had translated, Daddy, do you smell my stinky feet? And it's this footprint <laughs> on the paper. So as much as we've talked about this season, you don't get a loved one's visit. These letters are so impactful and I think could maybe bring people together even more because you're concentrating on each other and not on your loved one. Mm, that's a really great insight for us on the producing side and really good to know. In fact, if you take those loved one letters from this episode and look at them, you see that emotion you're talking about. You also see the beautiful diversity of Survivor. You have mm -hmm. Julie with her kids honoring what she accomplished at a difficult time in her life. And then you have Dee sharing her story of immigrating from Cuba and her parents writing her in Spanish. Then you have Katura sharing a very powerful story of her childhood and the impact it had on her relationship with her mom and the realization of how her decision to withdraw from her mom might be impacting her mom. Mm -hmm. And then Emily, uh, Emily discovering the power of, of her love for her boyfriend. <laughs> I'm never going to get married. Right. Well, maybe I will get married. No promises. Yeah. Four completely different stories. To your point, Devin's all stoked and sparked by letters from home, from the people who care about you. Yeah. And the way that we saw it take place also gave us an insight. I, you know, I'm not trying to proselytize for the love one letters versus the visit, but I do think that it was extremely impactful to hear Dee speaking those words in Spanish or even seeing Emily saying, I don't know, maybe I will marry him because you really believed that it would happen. Yeah, and because we are taking this podcast a little more behind the scenes, I think it's okay to talk about, like if you were to go back and watch that scene, the cross dissolves between mm -hmm. the players and in one shot, they're all together and another one is out of focus in the background or there's a dolly tracking around them. It brought you inside their world so that when each one of them told you your story, you almost felt like you were sitting next to them. That's all artistry in the edit base mm. and using the right music and the right shot selection. And then it goes back to being out on the beach and those teams that are shooting it, they're seeing it as well. They're saying, I'm going to shoot it this way. I know the editors will know what to do with it. All of mm -hmm. those pieces have to work, whether it's Top Gun or whether it's this emotional moment. Everybody has to deliver and do their job. Mm. All right, when we come back, Jay, we're not done. There's still <laughs> more emotion. And I love this moment with Katura overcoming her fear of the ocean and then the vote that finally sent Bruce to the jury. We'll be right back. Welcome back to On Fire. All right, Jay, next moment. All right, let's talk about the immunity challenge. And aside from me watching them contorted on this board and thinking to myself, ow, <laughs> the thing that stood out was the anxiety attack that Katora experienced. Because I thought back to On Fire season one, and Jeff, you told us that they take swim tests. So I was a little bit confused when all of a sudden she had this fear of the ocean. 
Well, you're right. On both accounts, we do know their swimming abilities. We do give them swimming a test. And she was afraid of the water. Mm. And that's because, Jay, you can't really account for what it's going to be like when you're out there and it's an ocean and it's no longer a swimming pool. And even though I told Couture, look, we have safety swimmers underwater at every challenge. They've got scuba gear on. They're watching you. You're never in trouble. That doesn't replace the fear. And I've seen this over 23 years. I know when it's real. And it was real. And it snuck up. Up on her. Mm-hmm. Even as I was describing the challenge, I could tell Katura was not fully tracking everything because she was probably already flash forwarding to when she was going to slide down and go into the ocean. And if you go back and watch when I say, okay, let's get it on, I say it really slowly. I mean, I say it like in slow motion because mm-hmm. I'm looking at Katura, making sure she knows that if you want to talk some more, Or if you want to sit out, you can. And to her credit, she didn't bat an eye. She decided, I'm going to give it a go, even though she was terrified. And just to make sure that people at home understand, we are not like walking off the beach and like treading water out into the ocean. These challenges, you are in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. I'm a swimmer. I have a lot of confidence and I didn't have fear out there, but I was still intimidated. Yeah. I mean, this Katora story was really impactful. The storyline of Austin and Bruce was awesome to watch, but I walked away from this challenge thinking about Katora and how powerful she was for facing that fear. Well, that last beat with Katura after the challenge is over is the kind of moment you can never plan for, you never see coming, but when they happen, they are magical. And just to remind people, you know, to set the stage... We obviously don't make them swim all the way back to camp, but we have over the years developed just a fun tradition that in a water challenge, as Devin said, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, when you finish it, you jump back into the water and swim over to the boat. And in this case, that was obviously going to be a very big issue for Katura, which is why I told her, that's not necessary. We'll bring the boat to you, no problem. But I also wanted her to know if you do feel comfortable knowing that you have your tribe and our safety swimmers and you want to try to overcome this fear that let's do that. And what Mm -hmm. followed was, you know, what, 20 seconds of just pure, raw, amazing willpower. Right. Katura jumped in the ocean. And if you noticed, she went from a terrified jump to a pretty good freestyle stroke Mm -hmm. in the water in just a matter of seconds. It was a great heroic survivor moment. And, you know, on episode one of season two of this podcast, we talked about Brandon when he had his panic attack on the opening challenge on the barge Mm -hmm. and he got back to camp and we said, what's he have to do? He has to play right away and put the target on someone else. And what do we see from Katora, who just went through all this, gets back to camp immediately playing the game, putting the target on Julie. Right. All right, well, I want to stay on that and get to the last moment of this episode, which is uh, Emily, the mastermind. Rick, I think you called your shot last episode talking about how Emily is going to start to need to make those moves. And we see her lay out a plan and have it work to perfection. I'm trying to stress to Bruce, let's make this big move and take Mama J out. The truth is, I am lying straight to Bruce's face. If I can appeal to Bruce's ego, outsmart him a little bit, outwit him a little bit, then it's possible that he doesn't play his idol tonight and he goes home with an idol in his pocket. It's just the onus is on me. As much as I'm like, we're pointing out Mama J's name for this vote just to get like potentially Bruce's idol mm-hmm. flushed, I am 100% serious about her being a real threat. Perfect. Yeah. I doubt Bruce falls for it, but if Bruce doesn't play his idol tonight, Bruce is going home. 
I mean, I'd love to watch this play out like we were in on it the whole time with Emily. And we've talked about point of view and the ways that you can use this set of facts and change it up. This one was so satisfying. I kind of (laughs) just want to know if there's any secret to it. I don't think there's any secret sauce. It's really just point of view. Mm. You could have told this from Bruce's point of view and maybe taken the point of view that I'm just going to try to make everyone think that I'm terrified and I'm going home. So of course I'm going to play my idol. And then we could have watched every single interaction we had. And then we would have posed the question, is he going to play it or not? We also could have taken it from Emily's point of view, but instead of telling you up front that she's putting him on, we could have reversed it. And we show her working with Bruce. You don't need to play it. You don't need to play it. And we think it's because she's really aligning with him. And then at the last minute before they go to tribal, she says, no, I'm setting him up and I hope it worked. Mm. We actually considered that. But then when we looked at it this way, we just felt like this is a little more fun for the audience because it's Emily. And she's had such a journey. And to Devin's point, now she's making the move. And we get to watch her make this masterful move. And then it pays off. And Bruce is out. And I got to say, I don't know about you, Jay, but as I'm watching this and Jeff says, if anybody has any hidden immunity idols, now's the time to play them. And Bruce isn't doing his idol. He's not getting, he kind of plays with his bag. I thought this was a classic Bruce. I lost the flint. And at the last second, he was going to pull the idol out and say, hey, (laughs) Jeff, I got the idol. And when he did it, my jaw hit the floor. I felt like one of those jurors. I couldn't believe it. Well, and Devin's in the episode, when something like that happens, and I finally say, okay, I'll read the votes. Then you cut to all the players who are going, oh my God, he didn't play it. He didn't play it. He didn't play it. So now they're ahead of the story because they all know who they voted for. Yeah. So it's a constantly Mm. shifting point of view in terms of the storytelling and whose point of view you're watching the episode from. Rick, from a gameplay perspective, do you think Emily will get credit for this move and outlasting this move? Or is it too early to start really taking these blind sides and putting them on the resume? I think this is a really tricky one. It's kind of one that you have to sell at tribal council unless she goes back and explains right away how she took advantage of this and how she made this happen. And if she does that, she's kind of putting a target on herself. We saw that last season with Carolyn when she finally took credit for a move. And then you see the gears turning and all the people around her like, wow, she's actually playing a much tougher game than we thought. So it's a balancing act for Emily. Do you claim the move right now or do you hope you can sell it at final tribal and not have other people in the jury going, that's not the way I remember it. I remember it that I got Bruce to not play the idol or for Mm -hmm. Bruce to say, no, that's not what it was. It's a very risky proposition to wait till your last night on Survivor to try to take credit for a move because they didn't see what Jeff just described the audience here seeing, which was Emily narrating every step of the way and totally owning the move. They just have to take her word for it. Mm, And I'm excited because we're now in the part of the game where we get to start talking about this sort of stuff and what's going to add up and see who's going to be the one who's left with it. Jeff, any party notes on our boy Bruce? Yeah, I'm glad he came back. I'm glad he got the full Survivor experience. Bruce did everything we hoped he would do in terms of playing hard. Bruce was great in interview. He was great at tribal. His personal approach to people and whether you like that approach, that's just a subjective assessment. It's really not important to me. I do feel for Bruce because even though I'm never on social media ever, 
I can guess that he's going to take some heat for <laughs> being too bossy or whatever. But that's, you know, what comes with doing anything in a public forum. Mm-hmm. I am curious if Bruce will have any meaningful takeaway, as he referenced earlier with his wife and his daughter in that episode. And, and maybe something powerful and positive can come from that. Because when you step into that arena, you do open yourself up to criticism, but you also give yourself an opportunity for growth. Yeah. And there was this moment at the end of the episode, and I know Bruce didn't know that this would be his swan song, but he gave Jake this pep talk before they went to tribal. And even though he didn't know he was doing it, it did show a big part of who Bruce is, which I really think is a cheerleader, a fan, a friend, someone who wants to see you succeed. And I think though he might take a little flack, He also was out there and he played really hard and he was great to watch. Yeah, Bruce has a big heart. And I'm just so grateful he was on the season because a lot of times these people that it's easy for me to criticize, right? They bring so much to the show, but not just with what they're doing, but with what they bring out in other people. We saw it in the Katora Mm. confessionals, the Kelly confessionals, how Jake reacted to him. So much of this season was built on everything that Bruce brought to the island. It's a great point. Mm. All right, let's get into some fan questions. And as a reminder, if you have a question for Jeff, you can email us at survivorshadowed at cbs.com and I will read those questions. Maybe even read them here. The first question comes from Darren. He writes, Hi, Jeff. I've loved the show from the very start. I'm wondering how codified the survivor rules are and how accessible those rules are to the players. Is there a document available at each camp so people can check what they can and can't do with Mm. idols and votes and revotes? Similarly, what kind of safety and production orientation do the castaways go through before the show starts? And what about after it ends? We see the fun videos from Ponderosa, but do people receive counseling afterwards? Boy, that was not a question. That was a whole (laughs) book of questions. Uh, All right, Darren. Uh, There isn't any formal manual, but maybe there should be. Darren is thinking like a producer. In terms of safety and production orientation, yeah, we we go through it a little bit. We show them a pamphlet of things that they should not eat, things that are poisonous, things like that, berries that they can eat. And then in terms of emotional support, yes, we take that very seriously. In fact, we have a welcome packet for the players now to help them prepare for everything they're going to encounter, including social media. We, we have one page that just takes like one day of hate social media that I get just to remind the players you're not alone. We all get it. And then when it comes to mental health and physical health, we have a very thorough aftercare program. It's one of the things that I'm most proud of is because it does take a toll on the players and we are there for them and we'll be there for as long as they need us to be there. Mm. And question two comes from Quentin. He says, loving the podcast. Have you ever had people try and crash the show by visiting the island while you were filming or have any unwanted visitors? Do you shut down the island so people can't fly in and try to see the show while it's being taped? Yeah, you know, that was actually an issue in the early seasons. And I remember Craig Fligian, <laughs> one of the early executive producers on on the show in the first season, I remember a reporter showed up on a boat and had to deal with Pelagian, and that is not something you want to have to do. <laughs> but for the most part, we don't have any issues because we have a lot of security now. It's security you never see. The players would never see it, but we're always watching. And yes, while we're shooting, we do have agreements that give us total control of the island. So if wherever the tribes are, we sort of own that island while we're shooting. And the same with challenges and tribal council. So it's not really a big issue. 
All right, question number three comes from Kim. She writes, Hi, Jeff. As a longtime Survivor fan, I refuse to believe that new seasons of Survivor will stop rolling or that someone besides yourself could ever host the show. However, I'm also scared that to you, season 50 might sound like the perfect cap on your Survivor career and it will all come to an end. Can you put my fears at ease and tell me you'll continue producing and hosting the show for as long as possible? Well, Kim, I appreciate the love. Thank you. I still love Survivor very much. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, Survivor (laughs) 50 is definitely our next big target in terms of like a milestone. But, you know, you got to remember, we got to get there. So, you know, you have to do 45 and 46. Then you have to do 47 and 48. Then you have to do 49. Then you get to 50. So it is one at a time. But I have no intention of wanting to stop. So long as the show continues to be fun and the people applying continue to be interesting. And the biggest thing for me is keeping our team together. That's sort of the whole enchilada because I get way more credit than I deserve. This show is made by a giant group and we're all in it together. And I would not want to do the show with another team. It would be difficult, if not impossible, to start over with new people. So I'm in it as long as everybody else on the team is in it. All right, that's it for episode 10. What do you think's coming next? Jay, you kind of hit on it when you asked a question about Emily. The first question of the episode is going to have to be, does she get credit? Does she try to take credit? And we're Mm. at that point in the game where that dreaded resume building is starting to happen. What's your instinct? Yeah, I think that the old Emily, who we lost with the ghost of Hannah, would (laughs) try to take credit immediately. And I think the new Emily might know better. So I'm looking forward to see if that instinct is right. The other thing that I can't wait to see is the aftermath of the Drew versus Jake name-calling emotional fight that we saw earlier that Rick brought up. I can't wait to see how this plays out because I do think that Jake has been somebody who's been perpetually on the bottom, and here, finally, the numbers are small enough that Jake might be that wedge that could throw everything for a loop. How about you, Devins? Honestly, with Bruce out, I guess I'm looking definitely at what Emily's going to do, how she's going to try and take control of this game because she sees what's happening with Reba. But at some point in time, Reba's got to look at each other. So that's the other thing I'm looking at is who on Reba is going to make the first move. All right, that's it for this week's episode of On Fire. Please make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. That's very important for this show. (laughs) There's a brand new episode of Survivor every Wednesday at 8, 7 Central on CBS and Paramount Plus. And immediately following the episode, you'll find us here with a new episode of On Fire. We'll see you then. You can watch Survivor and more on Paramount Plus. Subscribe at ParamountPlus.com and use the code Survivor45 by December 20th, 2023. And get your first month of Paramount Plus on us. Must be age of majority to subscribe. U.S. only. Payment method required. Terms and conditions apply. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. If you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.